Have you ever seen the inside of an abandoned building in a bad area? There's nothing to take there either. It just becomes a toilet. It's knucklepuck time! What the heck kind of a shot was that? You've never heard of a knucklepuck? Whoa! Welcome, everyone, to a very sexy knuckle puck. I'm kidding. There's absolutely hey, nothing sexy they're about not going to get that reference, but I don't well, care. The, the, the reason that I say <laughs> that this, you, you, you could take this in a very dark and dirty direction is because we have consistently said on this series that if you distill it down to its essence, this is a story about fathers and sons. Yes. And this week, the entire plot line was about fathers and sons. Evan's dad, the wannabe rocker that he is, randomly returns to compete with his now surrogate father, Gordon Bombay, who admittedly is looking quite a bit better this week. Someone finally bought him a comb and we're not mad at it. Meanwhile, Lauren and Maya, who come from very, very different social sex, end up finding a little bit of bonding as the lady ducks that they are through the magic that is a TikTok dance. As the episode goes on, Gordon and Evan's dad compete in dad things, like wing eating. And by the end of the episode, we are led to believe that Evan's dad is going to miss Evan's big game. But you know who stops that from happening? Our real dad, Gordon Bombay, who is at his heart, Everyone's dad. Dad. Dad Bombay. Yeah. Daddy Coach. Bombay. Dad, Daddy Bombay. <laughs> Daddy Bombay. Welcome to our it. new podcast, what? Daddy Bombay. <laughs> I'm not mad at it. Taking this in a totally different direction. If he's Coach Dad, that's one thing. If he's Daddy Bombay, we're going in a totally different direction. <laughs> Only fans get ready for Daddy Bombay after dark. <laughs> <laughs> Sleeping with Alex. <laughs> what? Okay, you said it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, let's. Mm-hmm. The uh, we we see the return of Evan's biological father, uh, wonderfully played by Eddie McClintock, and you could tell that him being an on the road musician who is mediocre at best, but still has dreams at of grandeur. Best going into his 50s which you know ad- it, it, it is laudable you know it's it's there, there, there's something admirable about that um you could tell that despite the fact that he has absolutely no desire to get back with alex that if she was like i'm bored and i'm horny do you want to just come back to my place she was like yes oh my god yes like that's the energy that he exudes you know and when we find out that his goal is to get on the college circuit, you know it has absolutely nothing to do with being able to play music oh, yeah. at colleges. Nothing at all. Nope. No, he wants to rock that the way that Blink-182 tried to rock my last day of classes in college. They got out Ooh. there. They were almost 50. They were jumping around like it was the early 90s. Or I guess later 90s. It was not. It was more than a decade was later. Was this still when Tom DeLonge was with the band? Sure. I don't remember who that is. He he was the one that sounded uh, all the small things. Oh, that guy. yeah. That one. Yeah. Well, the, the lead singer? Yeah. Yeah. She left me roses by the stairs. Kind of British, but... Um... He is now too busy to be with the band because he's out in the world giving talks about how aliens are among us, and I am not kidding about that. Awesome. Duh. That is a glow up. Duh. I love it's it. It's an emotional glow up. It's not a physical glow up. Sorry, Tom. No offense. Oh, screw that. Gosh. Who cares? If you're sharing the alien secret truth, no one cares what you look like. We learned that from Marvel. Absolutely. Well, this this dad, though, called going to Madison, Wisconsin, like a gateway to get to Milwaukee. Like, my mom is from Milwaukee. I've been to Milwaukee. I love Milwaukee. Wouldn't say it's the big rock star capital of the world. But have you drank on a college campus in Milwaukee? I drank in Madison. Me allegedly. too. <laughs> More on that off camera. So 
but the the key is, I think, when we're dealing with Evan's dad, is that it's not about Madison. Madison is just the gateway to getting onto, as he put it, the college circuit, so that you know he can go and party with the kids at uh, the Bluebird. <laughs> yeah, Indiana University. He said Bloomington. I think he meant Bloomington, Illinois, but I'm going to count it as Bloomington, Indiana. There you go. It, they're 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 close together. In the Midwest, everything is close together, guys. It's all relative. It is. It yeah. Is. Additionally, we have our wonderful B story where our lady ducks, Maya and Lauren, are getting closer to each other through the magic that is the TikTok dance. Mark, tell us about the TikTok dance. Well, let me tell you, as someone who knows um, a small bit about TikTok dances, uh, in this episode especially, it, it was really great to see two ladies from different parts of the cafeteria table come together and create a, a, a probable viral piece together. Um, from two different groups of friends that usually doesn't happen in middle school. It was a solid algorithm hack. They figured out how to hit two entirely different demographics in one thing and have the crossover. Lots of great yeah. conversation. It was perfect. Great video. Uh, cute little edit. And what? then she didn't post it. Right. She and honestly, I thought it made way more sense. It would have made way more sense if the number of likes, views, and shares that we saw on her later video had actually been a um, had been the reality for the video that she did with Lauren. The video that they were sharing later that they called Fire, eh, it had over ten thousand likes. Have it? Sorry, have, have, have you have, have you seen TikTok viral videos sometimes? Fair. Have you seen what gets ten thousand views and? <laughs> Yeah. Not as many as you have. So it goes. Okay. No, no, I'll no, drop no, no, that. no. I'll drop no, no, that. No, 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 no. Not what I'm saying. Yep. I'm saying it makes no difference. Like there are videos that are deserving and there are videos that uh, are twerking. Yeah, like David, one day we, we will just, you know, create a YouTube video that is just you looking at TikTok for an hour. Like, I, thought, I thought that was going in a different direction. And yeah, I'm just like, speaking of sexy, that David twerks on YouTube would get at least 10 views. Nah. Oh, YouTube, <laughs> you, you, mistress, you with your algorithms and randomly deciding what goes viral and what doesn't. And speaking Nazis. Of, cool yeah, yeah, and Nazis. <laughs> speaking of quick virality, who's that puppy behind you? That is Madison. Actually, there are there are two in shot. There's Madison and there's Pepper, who's down oh. there. Those are friends' dogs because the world, as it starts to open, uh, people are, you know, traveling to introduce their parents to the children they had who they haven't been able to meet yet and because i have a large yard friends are like would you do me a huge favor and i'm like yeah so could we get some pup content everyone loves pup content they are both asleep at the moment as is lola here on the other oh, side of this okay. chair so we will but if they wake up then absolutely week. exactly um, i will take this moment to uh, promote my pup content where if you are on instagram look up at sir knight the poodle knight with a k uh, it's got some quality poodle content on there. Was that Lauren cracking yes. up in the background? Your, yes. Your gorgeous that was wife. my beautiful, your, your, amazing wife. Your incredible. Is outside of my studio who heard me say that and audibly guffawed when oh. I promoted our dog's Instagram. Which, fun fact, when we created the dog's Instagram, uh, I was initially running it, but I was telling everyone that Lauren was running it. Now, not even on my phone. It's only on her phone. Salad. It's good content. I follow it too. So this that's actually the perfect segue to my favorite segment, the best of Bombay. 
So uh, Bombay had some <laughs> great stuff this week. He's always um, got great stuff. I mean, yeah, Mark, you're absolutely right. He, I know. He, always, <laughs> he is. Uh, Emilio has truly been on this season. Even times where I felt that the material wasn't great. He has managed to kind of elevate every moment that he's walked into. I don't know if there will be a moment this entire season that tops you ever get punched in the face. Because that's that's now written in my heart. But uh, there were three different moments for me that were just spectacular Bombays. First one was Alex complaining about how the last time that Evan's dad uh, invited her to a bar, she got pregnant. And he just knowingly nods and says, probably won't happen with me. <laughs> love that. Absolutely love that. I don't even know if that was scripted. And I'm pretty sure I watched Lorelai Gilmore smirk on the side because I don't think that was scripted. I think he just slid that one in there. So, so, so I <laughs> slid. Um, so I, <laughs> I, I, I was going to say this for Penalty mm-hmm. Box 2, but it came up. So here we are. Um, after that line, it was probably improv probably won't happen with me because either they cut alex's line afterwards i was hoping for some sort of line after that it needed just like it i was hoping it would have been good to have a closer to that moment i agree i go well you never know (laughs) if this were a movie you would have gotten the line but as we mentioned last week gordon and Alex are our proverbial Ross and Rachel here, and they they can't get together until at least season two. Right. Like, those are the rules. Okay. Just like hockey has rules, Uh, TV has rules. When TV doesn't follow the rules, things go wrong. But anyway, so the, the line that I wished I'd heard from her was, in fact, the line that Bombay dropped in my second favorite best of Bombay moment of this week, which is... When Bombay is kidnapping uh, Evan's dad, whose name is Rob, by the way, because that that's a Rob. Look at that guy. That's a Rob. Um, when we have the, the checkoff payoff of the door being broken and therefore unable to be opened, though I, I desperately wanted a checkoff's gun payoff of why the hockey stick had to hold the glove box closed. What's yeah. in the glove box? Now we're left wondering, are they going to pay that off in a future episode? Anyway. When Rob looks over at Bombay and just goes, like, what are you doing? He goes, this is kidnapping. And Bombay just goes, is it? <laughs> great moment. Really great yeah. moment. And I really wanted, after Emilio says, and said, probably won't happen to me, I wanted her to just look back and go, no. Or, you sure? Or something that was exactly on yeah. that level of tone of just like, yeah. you don't know this man. His, his and- penis might be magic. Every every time to every, well, Daddy Daddy Bombay is 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 incredible. Like you knew, you knew as soon as he said, "Let me drive you to the airport." I'm just like, oh, he's not going to the airport. Like right away, right away. I hoped, but and we'll deal with this more in the penalty box. This episode did establish something we brought up when we talked about D two, which is Gordon Bombay is absolutely fucking terrible at getting places on time. Yeah. I mean, he's just truly terrible at it. Terrible. He, I'm sorry. He takes Evan to this show and is asked, okay, have him home by nine. When the wing eating competition happens, it's right after the show has ended. They eat 42 wings each, which I will deal with more soon. Even if... They are not actually very good at eating wings. So it's taking them a minute per wing. Say it even takes them a full hour to do this. Alex later says that Evan got home around midnight. So if the, say the place is half an hour away and it took them an hour to eat 42 wings. That still means that the show ended at 1030, meaning Bombay had not left to bring Evan home by the time he was two hours already later than he should have been. It's two hours already. And when he kidnaps Rob to bring him to the game, he starts off with, oh, yeah, that that Don't Bother's game is going to start soon. We should go. And they arrive with four minutes and 37 seconds left in the third period. And it's his arena. It's the Ice Palace. 
How did these people get in? He has the key. Didn't he want to sell tickets or anything? It's his place and he misses almost the entire game when he thinks, oh, we should leave now. The man is incapable of being on time for anything, anything at all. So I was hopeful when he kidnapped Rob that he was not gonna take him to the airport. But I gotta be honest, I wasn't totally sure because he's so late for everything. Uh, but Daddy Bombay always comes through. He does eventually show up. As long as someone else carries the water during the yeah, time he should always. have been there, he does always, always show up. Always. Always. He always yep. shows up. He just needs a production assistant to handle the crowd until he gets there. Some people do. And that's Some right. people do. Yep. Some people do. I'm just curious, like, who is the old man that has the keys? Because we, we, we know it's not our sweet, sex-positive, uh, convenient shop worker. Oh, like, Winnie. Yes, like <laughs> who that, had also the, some great lines this week. Oh my God, did she ever? Mm, mm. Can't it just be open? No, no, no! You don't just leave a place open, especially in a place where we established last episode there's crime all around it and broken glass outside. If Nobody goes open, in there. No one goes in there. There's nothing to take. There's nothing to you know. I, I, I don't have know. you ever seen the inside of an abandoned building in a bad area? There's nothing to take there either. It just becomes a toilet. <laughs> It's what happens. It kind it's of bad. is a toilet already. Like we established this. You different know? scale, dude. Different scale. Oh, proverbial versus literal. The the ice palace will turn into the pee pee palace. Yeah. If you pee on ice, it melts. That's expensive. It is. Got to fix that. Well, before we get uh, too deep down that rabbit hole. What was your favorite Gordon Bombay moment of this episode? Let us know in the comments below if you're on YouTube. If you're listening to us in audio format, please leave it on the comments section of our website, knucklepucktime.com. And if you are feeling a little frisky, leave it in the five-star review section on your podcast player of choice. All right, guys. Whoa, whoa, guys. I had one more thing for the best of Bombay because I want someone to explain the physics of this to me. In the conversation between Rob, Evan's dad, and Bombay, when they're telling stories about being on the road, Bombay talks about that on the uh, the minor league hockey bus, they turned the toilet hookup into a beer keg. Sounds great, but I had to pause on that because I like building things. And I thought, okay, so the water system on a bus is a intense pump pressure system meaning there are two ways that they potentially did this. One, they removed the toilet completely and just had a beer-style tap that they attached to things and had some kind of additional signaler to indicate that the pump should flush water through. Or two, it just filled the toilet with beer every time and they just dumped things in. The latter, which frankly sounds more reasonable. Um, (laughs) I mean, that means that they also waste a lot more beer because they have to flush to refill it every time. But, oh, I guess they could just have the adjusted tap and it would just keep refilling the tank. Honestly, that's probably the better one. But the other side of this is uh, that's not refrigerated or treated. So here's the reality. Like in the warmer times, they now have hot bottom of a bus heating up the beer that they're drinking all day, which is terrible. In the colder times, they have an exploding tank of beer because Minnesota is insanely cold and you have to treat water in Minnesota to stop it from exploding. So both of these options are so disastrous. And I really want to know if they had some genius engineer, that was Pepper, uh, some genius engineer who came in and rigged this all up on the bus because I know these things can happen. I have a friend from college who turned the air conditioning unit in his house into a bong. Uh, David, uh, quick uh, breaking news, actually. I just texted uh, my friend who is the famous uh, Disney physicist. Uh, Uh It's a very niche uh, independent major that they only have at uh, several small liberal colleges. Uh, But his name is JT Disney, no relation. Uh, And his answer to how the physics of it works is uh, Disney magic. Daddy Bombay! Um, I'd like to jump into our B story Mm -hmm. now, where we're dealing with Lauren and Maya's burgeoning friendship. 
which I thought was actually a pretty solid representation of how clicks work from the limited memory that I have of being that age. Mm -hmm. um, and I assure you, it is very, very limited. However, um, I did appreciate that despite the fact that you can tell that this is written by people you know, between the ages of 30 and 50, they at least attempted to understand the language that that generation speaks, specifically with the TikTok dance. Yeah. Because so often, and I have talked to people in writer's rooms about social media, and it is astonishing when they don't get it. Like, I have heard brilliant pitches about so many ridiculous storylines you can do specifically about being addicted to social media. And the showrunner is like this 60-year-old guy who has no business being the showrunner for for whatever reason he got the job, though. And he's like, eh, I don't get it. Let's make some more bad puns. Uh, I, so, I mean, Mark, I, I believe it. as our resident TikTok expert, can you please explain the language of the TikTok dance? I think it just gives gives a simplistic dance that kind of everyone can do and add their own flair to it. It's it it's it's not based in any sort of like expansive technique or like repertoire or anything and it's 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 just fun. And I think the best part about these dances is they're there's such a vast way that each dance can be performed, like per per person, and it's just like everyone is different, but also doing the same dance. And uh, virality can ensue. So, Mark, what you're saying is that um, if we do several of Charlie and Dixie D'Amelio's dances, yes, I had to look that up, we too may get to 100 million followers on TikTok. Disney magic, baby. Disney magic. Yes. David, start learning those steps. No. Well, here's <laughs> here's the thing. There aren't many steps, per se. Go on. There aren't steps. It's a lot of arms. It's a lot of grabs. It's a lot of shoulders. It's a lot of head. Cut that. It's a lot of movement, a lot of hand movements, and not a lot of physical steps as I'm stepping. What's great about these dances is it brings people together from all walks of life, from all cliques. Um, anyone can do these dances and it's going to bring people to, together. And I think that is a really Cool thing. I, I've always interpreted TikTok, and again, I am in no way an expert. I am learning more and more about it. Nobody I, is. Nobody is an expert. I get you know? that. I get that. Yeah, it's great. Which in itself is great. But part of what I like most about TikTok is that previous generations, especially the further you go back, were kind of conditioned to limit how much of themselves we allowed the world to see. I mean, you know, you go back to Greatest Generation and they really closed a lot away. And then the boomers closed less away, but still a lot. And then you got to Generation X and again, letting a little more out, but still very protected. And then millennials, we've let a lot more out, especially with the rise of social media and whatnot around us. But TikTok being the key vehicle for Gen Z at this point really does seem to be opening in the floodgates there where kids can just fully accept like, no, I'm just going to do things that I think are fun and I'm going to own them. I'm not going to worry about, oh, am I going to think this is cool in five years? I'm not going to worry about, you know, am I going to look stupid with this particular hair or this sweater or whatnot? I'm just going to, I'm going to do these things. And yeah, they may have brief worries in the moment, but we're creating a culture of create things that you like and that are fun to you and make you happy. And that is, I think that's wonderful that we are encouraging kids to not feel deep anxiety about what ifs of the future. 
be yourself, be openly and proudly yourself, and then just have fun with it. There is so much in this world to worry about and stress about, and a lot of it you're going to end up worrying and stressing about later. Your kid, have fun. Have yeah. fun and create a huge library so that in those future times when you are stressed, you can look back and go, that was really fun. And that maybe that gives you just enough happiness to go, do I need to spend all day worrying about this? Is there anything I can actually do about this? Or should I just go do something stupid and silly and fun and feel better? Because yes, there are major things we need to fix, but they don't always have to be fixed in this moment. This has been Deep Thoughts with David Hankler. Anytime sure. I'm sleep deprived, this is what I do. What was so <laughs> great about this episode too was we saw kind of both sides of the exclusion coming from mm. what we thought were the, for lack of a better term, the popular group and the geek group in in this show that we assumed was the social norm. And that got turned on its head where both of them are both groups and both of them mm -hmm. exclude others. Yep. And both of them have these judgments based on no real facts. And to see that even in a utopian kind of world in that way, that I, I feel like what we saw in the episode of them coming dressed as each other and making up, like, it might, it might not play out that way. But in best case, yeah, sure. Why yeah. not? Why not? So th th this might be sort of dipping a toe into the penalty box, but it applies specifically to this storyline. I was actually quite, not really frustrated, but I was like, damn it, pretty people win again. Because when Maya showed up <laughs> in the, you know, whisper silk outfit, I'm like, she makes that look fantastic. Mm -hmm. Like, the level of confidence with which she wears that, like, and and honestly, if she didn't have the cape, I, I don't know that anyone would necessarily blink an eye because it looked like she was just wearing something that was out of a, you know, fashion catalog in my limited fashion experience. The majority of my clothing is, you know, black for a reason. Like myself. So Mark, tell us what it's like to be that pretty. I wouldn't know. Lies. I I wouldn't know. I mean, there is there is attractive and handsome and good looking and then there is like pretty people pretty. There's yeah, but you you have that symmetrical face you that do. I lack. You managed to rack a style right now where you are wearing a winter beanie and it's almost May and it took me most of this episode to even process, oh, he's wearing winter clothing and it's almost May. So to to back that up, um, it got down to like 42 degrees last night and my, my management uh, company doesn't like to turn on our heat. So that's why we're in a lawsuit. Okay. So it is not due to just high fashion, but also functionality because I'm down. More you know. <laughs> So don't judge a hat by its cover. All right. Well, what, what? did you think? Oh, <laughs> you heard me. You heard what I said. Mm -hmm. Okay. Andrew? Well, what did you think of this blossoming of Emily and Maya's relationship? And what did you think of Mark's hat? Let us know in the comments below. We want to hear your thoughts. And, of course, you can always leave your comments over at knucklebucktime.com if you're listening to this in the audio version. All right, do guys. Do it. Do it. Leave your comments. I would like to jump into my favorite segment of the entire show, The Duck Hunt. So this is where Go ahead, we point Andrew. out any Easter eggs that we find. This is where all those little uh, nuggets of gold that they end up dropping in there uh, – end up getting talked about so david what easter eggs did you find in this episode because i know you found a bunch of them i found a bunch my favorite random weird little one when nick gives his big pump up speech at the very end he does so over the word cocktails 
why does the Ice Palace serve cocktails? <laughs> There's no logical reason why a children's skating rink should serve cocktails. There's no way they have a liquor license. But that's with Nick just, come on, we got you two got to do this together and blah, blah, blah. I've got the words actually written down and talking about my boy needs a win here. The fact that he did that over the word cocktails just brought me joy. Um, so within that, though, also when Laura, Lauren gets up to yell at Maya, that is the one true Mighty Ducks Easter egg, because you see that their school is District 5 Middle School. District 5 was the region that the Mighty Ducks came from back when in the original Mighty Ducks series, it was broken up by congressional districts for the state, which that's a whole nother line of how somehow all these kids are all in District 5. And we've now had such an explosion of hockey popularity that there are allegedly tons of teams that bus all over the place from from the same district and area. Andrew, as a as someone who works in TV, you'll like this one. When Bombay gives Alex the unicorn and then walks away, the frame of the unicorn is it says unicorn TV, which itself is a double reference because the director of this episode, Jay Karras, directed and speaks incredibly fondly of his experience of directing an episode of the CBS TV show the Unicorn. Additionally, one of the most famous nonprofit media companies in the country is Unicorn Riot TV, which is based out of the Twin Cities in Minnesota. So loved all of that. And to bring it all home, my favorite one of the whole thing, the wing eating competition. Right before the phone call, Evan says, so that's 42. Both Bombay and his dad Ate 42 wings. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is my favorite book. 42 is the answer in that book by the great computer Deep Thought to what is the answer to life, the universe, and everything. His answer is 42. They ate 42 wings. And for additional subtext under that, part of why I love the number 42 is used there and why is that Douglas Adams, the writer of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, loved computers and loved studying programming and coding. And in the original ASCI22, ESCII, however you pronounce it, mm -hmm. the original computer programming code, everything was, was numbers. And 42 was the computer code for an asterisk, which was the wildcard function that literally meant anything you want it to be. So the answer from deep thought of 42 was computer speak for what is the answer to life, the universe, and anything? Whatever you want it to be. Insert anything you want here. And I've always loved that. I also love that in modern computer parlance, an asterisk means to multiply, to mark a footnote, to censor offensive words, to, or to indicate a correction from a previous message. And all of those, I still think, work great for describing what 42 would be in modern terms that's impressive so that deep that deep dive was quite impressive that was very impressive but you pointed out something else that i would be remiss if i didn't bring up we, we clearly were cheated out of the scene where gordon bombay was running all around the twin cities trying to find a stuffed unicorn because when i looked at it i was just like Oh, yeah, so uh, he went to uh, Walgreens and just grabbed the first cute, cuddly thing he could find? No, no. He went to Walgreens. He went to another Walgreens. He went to CVS. It's a duck call Rite all over again. Right? Exactly. I believe it. All right. Either you guys have any more Easter eggs that you want to drop in? That's all I got. I don't. All right. Well, did you find any Easter eggs that we missed? Let us know in the comments below. And as always, if you're listening in the audio version, Please don't leave comments if you're driving. Like, we, we like you. And we, we don't want anything bad to happen to you. And, you know, as much as we want your engagement, it can wait. All it's right, guys. Long. Let's you jump. post as soon as you stop. <laughs> Agreed. All right, guys. Let's jump into uh, the crux of this episode, the A story. <laughs> We've been saying from the beginning that this is a series about fathers and sons, and this week we literally get Evan's father going up against his now surrogate father, 
what do you think about them getting things to be that on the nose? Mark, I'm going to throw it to you first. Are, are you saying how do I feel about Daddy Bombay? Is I feel good? Uh, if if that's the question that's that's being presented, I, I uh, listen. I I think I think Gordon kind of treads lightly, which it, which I appreciated. I like that he didn't kind of like force his way into this like father figure and be like, no, you have to go and and see your son play. Like it it it, it felt much more encouraging. Although he did kidnap him, it felt more gentle than was a big long. Then yeah, <laughs> it it felt much more gentle than just like like talking down. To his dad about what yeah. he's doing, it didn't feel because I I think he didn't frame like, it as a competition, no, except in no. terms of eating wings. Yeah, it, yeah, which it could have gone that way. It could have been like, who's the best dad? Who's the best father figure? And like, uh, yeah, but no the, good dad actually does that, which is right. part of what I respected. Right. I, I mean, I wouldn't call Rob a good dad. No, absolutely not. No, but if you look at the trajectory of this show and, you know, the the canon of the Mighty Ducks, this is the first time since the original movie that we have seen an actual biological father figure go up against the surrogate father figure. The last time we saw any sort of competition like that, we saw... Uh, Jesse's dad complaining about how Bombay was coaching the team and forcing them to take falls. And we saw uh, Cake Eater's dad trying to get Banks off the ducks and back onto the Hawks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, well, and, and only one of those was a positive role model. Mm-hmm. And, Very true. And Gordon even t- talked about his dad and how much it meant to him when his dad would come to his games when he got the chance to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I I didn't mind it. I mean, yes, the the Mighty Ducks series has always, pardon me, has always been about fathers and sons. And within that, they've explored all the different versions of a father and son, you know, mentor, pupil, coach, player, They've, they've explored all those different angles and they've never been quite so on the nose about it as they were in this episode. But uh, the way they concluded it with, instead of as soon as Alex realized that the only reason that Rob Evans dad was at the game at all was that Bombay kidnapped him. If she'd gone in and said, Hey, you know, I, I actually can go on our, not a date, research trip to the wild game and Bombay had gone great. You know, I hoped you would. That's really great to hear. Okay. Yeah. Then it's a little too. Yeah. Like I did been, this. Yeah. I did this for you now go on the date with me. Exactly. It, it, it yeah. would have made it a competition and it would have on some levels, I, I feel overly simplified and maybe even degraded mm-hmm. the father figure debate that we've had now through five episodes four five episodes and three movies. The fact that he instead responds, actually, I was thinking that I would take Evan as a celebration for the game. Great. Yeah, now we're back to father figure. That it's not, hey, I'm just trying to get with you. That to be a father is not to be with the mother. That to be a father is to be a father, to show up for the kid. The kid is what defines, and the relationship you have with the son is what defines the fatherhood, not the relationship with the mother. So I respected that. I respected that they kept Bombay in the, yeah, I'm a little, you know, ornery and a little flirty and whatnot role, but still very much, much more akin to what he had with Charlie and Charlie's mom in the first Mighty Ducks movie. The idea like, yeah, we're flirting. Maybe something will happen, maybe not. But this really is about coach to player. And filling that role, which I liked. Well, the thing that I appreciated is that we are seeing uh, an, an evolution, a 
Bombay Lucian, if you will. Um, this has felt organic. Like, yeah. it, it, there has never been a time throughout this entire series where it has seemed like, all right, Gordon Bombay, he's a curmudgeon old man. He's driving this, this Zamboni. And then, like, complete U-turn where all of a sudden he's Coach Bombay again. No, it's it's been these nice little incremental steps. And even though this was on the nose, I appreciated it because we can do more on the nose things when we're dealing with a 10 episode TV show as opposed to a two hour movie. Yes. And the showrunners, which notably, this is the first episode that had someone other than the showrunners write it, which uh, I think that's a very positive thing uh, because that either means they have a writer's room that they just haven't been utilizing or in a much happier uh, scenario. A lot of times what will happen is uh, if the writers don't have a writer's room, they'll give one script to their assistant and put his or her name on it. And that helps mm-hmm. them because like, not only do they get the script fee, but that helps them eventually get into the writer's guild where, oh, that's great. you know, eventually yeah. uh, you can become a staff writer or a consulting producer yourself. Um, the showrunner uh, is the boss of the writer's room. The showrunner yeah, is the what are, one. What do they do? What do they do for, for, for people that don't know out there? Sure. So when you have a TV series, you literally have a room that all the writers come together in to write the scripts. And they don't necessarily write it together, but what they will generally do is they will break down the story. They will figure out all the individual beats of the story and the showrunner, the executive producer, in this case, there's two, Josh Goldsmith and Kathy Yuspa, which you can absolutely have co-showrunners if you have two people who are, you know, very comfortable working together in that way. But the executive producer showrunner is the one who sort of like breaks the tie and makes the final decision. Once the story is broken down, then individual scripts will be assigned to individual writers. And that writer who then took the storyline that was broken down and goes ahead and writes the script, like physically does the typing, figures out the dialogue, works the story beats uh, into a full working shootable script, that's whose name gets put on the script, even though after that's done, they will take the script back into the writer's room where they'll have, you know, they'll they'll read it out loud, they'll have the cast read it, and then the writer's room as a whole will end up uh, making some changes to help pump up the script. The most notable examples of TV shows, either having a writer's room or not having a writer's room, uh, is probably, the one that comes to mind is Game of Thrones. Uh, for the first... Game of... Game of... Game of, I'm sorry. What is this show you speak of? Uh, uh, sorry, you 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 know it as dragons and boobs. I'm oh, I'm gotcha, sorry. Gotcha, I, gotcha, I, gotcha, I need gotcha, to be gotcha. more specific. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I believe it was for the first three, maybe four seasons. The showrunners had no writers' room. They wrote every script themselves, except for some of the seasons they gave. Like I said, they gave their assistant uh, a script to write, and then George R. R. Martin would write a script each season. I believe he stopped starting in the fifth or the sixth season after the you know the showrunners didn't have books anymore to base mm-hmm. things off of. Um, so the showrunners are basically tasked with turning it into a good TV series. And Series tend to live or die by the community in the writer's room that is fostered by the showrunner. And you will see it happen very frequently that showrunners will be replaced because you have a named talent who is anchoring the entire show and they want to be the guy. They want to be the executive producer. They want to be the one who sort of picks the direction that the show 
runs into. And if you have a very talented showrunner who just knows how to make these shows, and then the talent comes in and says, no, I want to do it this way, and then we have to do this, and I don't want this, and we don't do that, that's when you will generally hear about a showrunner being yeah, yeah, replaced. Yeah. Uh, and and, and um, Emilio probably didn't do that for this. It, it seems like he didn't at all. It seems like he's really getting in there and doing his role, which is really great to well, see. And here's what you have to note is that when you watch the credits, Emilio is an executive producer on this. And yeah. that can mean so many things. Sometimes that's just a title and it means that uh, you end up getting you know a certain amount of gross participation based on how the show sells internationally and whatnot. And other times it means that you're physically going into the writer's room and making sure that things go a certain way for your character. It's a yeah. really fascinating delineation that we normally don't get to see, but you can tell that... Emilio clearly has his finger on the pulse of Gordon Bombay. And honestly, I think people would be stupid to fight him on it with the trajectory that the show is on. Because you, admittedly, you, you do see things where, you know, name talent just want weird, screwed up things. Like, if, if, if you have the free time, go just look up some of the things that Johnny Depp wanted in the later seasons of 21 Jump Street. I, I, I don't have the time to tell you here, but I will tell you it involved peanut butter. So Hey, yeah. it wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me just to kinda close this, but like it 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 wouldn't shock me if like even they didn't even write Gordon's lines and just have him come mm -hmm. in and play off. No, I'm I'm not saying it's happening. Yes. It's scripted. Yes. I'm saying, like, it wouldn't surprise me if they're like, great, like, you are Gordon Bombay. Just respond. Because <laughs> it would work. And it would it, it would be just as good of dialogue as he's... Well, I think what you're saying, doing. Mark, as an actor yourself, you understand this. Uh, Emilio Estevez is just that damn good. Don't tell me what you think I'm saying, even though it is... Extremely correct. <laughs> By the way, he is he is he is great. And even in a role like this in a Disney children's show that's not geared towards children, but here we are. He's great in this too. Yeah, actually, Ed, that that segues perfectly into my favorite segment, the penalty box, because. I can't. I, I. I can't go on until until I hear it, Mark. I. I, I can't. It's penalty box time. Thank you. Um, my biggest penalty box this week, and also it was happening last week. Uh, this is getting into the minutia of how child labor laws work, <laughs> but you cannot have a child on set for more than eight hours a day. And if you look at how the stories are being played out and how they are choosing to highlight different children every week, mm -hmm. that is clearly coming into play. Um, I think we actually physically saw Sophie's face twice in the entire episode, once mm -hmm. on the ice and once at the lunch table. Um I know we only saw Logan's face three times in both places. With no words. Like twice, yeah. No words whatsoever. Lining. He looked no. so sad, puppy dog. Just It's okay. He still got paid. Mm -hmm. That's going right into his Coogan account. Google it. Um, and, you know, it, as you pointed out, Nick, he made the most of the time he had on screen, but he did not have much time on screen, which is very disappointing because he is a fantastic character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. I I actually don't have too many penalty boxes because I usually save it for David because I know he has uh, like <laughs> pages and pages and pages. I got um, notes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just going to defer to David on this one. Oh, I'm very complimented. Yeah. 
Well, then let's get started. All right, so the episode begins with Alex giving instructions to the team and specifically says, all right, let's go practice the give and go to Sophie. Emphasis on give. And then somehow, despite the fact that they now have Sophie on the Don't Bothers, Sophie, who is so good. Oh, Madison's up. Anyway, uh, Sophie, who is so good that we are first introduced to her as a hockey player, knocking golf balls off the top of traffic cones with hockey, sh- uh, like with, with pucks that she's shooting. Like she is that good. She can precisely hit things anywhere that she wants to. And yet somehow in this game against the second worst team in the league, they have zero goals. How are we supposed to believe that she hasn't done anything? I get that it makes it more exciting that Evan then manages to get uh, five goals, well, four goals, and Sophie then gets one uh, during the final four and a half minutes of the third period, all motivated by the appearance of both daddies. But, and I'm going to keep calling him that now. Marcus started it, Andrew. <laughs> We're in daddy talk now. Uh, but, but yeah. It's I'm, daddy talk time! <laughs> Daddy talk. Um, <laughs> daddy talk. Let's get on the daddy talk. Uh, but yeah, I just I just paused on that. Where I'm like, we literally identify that the best play they have is to just give the puck to Sophie. For some reason, then immediately after that, we're also introduced to the double helix. Cool play. Liked it. Liked the way that it all wove together. Also really nice to see just how much better all the players on the Don't Bothers are now. But why does the best play that they have give the puck to Evan when they have Sophie maybe m- maybe Sophie's being a double teamed yeah because Fair. maybe she's play. a decoy because they're switching all around because the power play is is on basically the entire game because Evan keeps getting well he starts out we penalties. only see him getting right. a penalty once. We see him once. I assume there are more penalties. You would assume, and in fact, yeah. that's another one of my points that yeah. it's established for the first time in the entire Mighty Ducks universe that the refs actually understand the rules in this particular <laughs> game. Know, right? Because the one starts, hit, the one hit that that gets called. Yeah, I mean, immediately it's like, cool. You go in the penalty box. I'm like, okay, all right, wow, they're actually going to have the rules. And then as soon as the daddies show up. Evan immediately then cross-checks somebody again, not quite as openly and blatantly and directly in front of the ref, but it is established. This is a girl on the Hawks who is leaning in to Evan and Evan just turns and just cross-checks the crap out of her and then immediately goes to score. And again, no penalties at all. I'm like, all right. So that was a brief moment in the universe where the refs actually cared. Okay. So that was, that was the thing. Um, my main rant was, and I brought this up earlier, was the fact that Gordon Bombay, it is established, has no concept of time. None, none, not once, but twice in this episode, twice. The man explicitly shows that he cares about the people involved. He cares about being there. He cares about supporting the individuals. And yet both times seems to just, casually without any recognition of what he's done wrong show up well over an hour late for things how when you're when you are looking at your watch going oh we need to get to the game do you show up halfway through the third period how how come on man ah bombay be better Um, i think i I think I can also possibly justify mm-hmm. that. What time was Rob's plane? It was framed as like dinner-ish time as they like were sitting there. six? And what time was the hockey game? I would assume Probably the like game. Probably 6.30, right? Right. Which is why right. he says, oh, the game's going to start soon. We should go. So how do you manage to miss two and a half periods when you look down going, oh, we should go? If you're... If you're meeting up somewhere that is so far yeah. away from the game that it's like, oh, we need to leave 45 minutes before the game starts to make it there on time. Then Where's that's the in airport? Mind. Where's the right. airport? I don't right. know. 
I don't know. It doesn't matter. But yes, I agree with you. He needs to have better time management. He's just, it's awful. It's <laughs> awful. The, if you're going to be a daddy, you got to show up. You can't yeah. be either a lawyer or a coach or a dad and yeah, just casually daddy's, show up hours late. Daddy's got to be on time. Yep. Daddy's got to be on time. Daddy's got to be on top of things. I do want to circle back, though, to your previous <laughs> comment, David, because I, I didn't want to interrupt you, Thank you, know, you when you were on a roll. But I think we can safely say that there is some rule in the Mighty Ducks universe in their hockey bylaws mm. that the sharpshooter is not allowed to touch the puck at the most important point of any game mm, duck because Fulton never got to do it yep true and now Sophie does not seem to get to do it ever even when she was on the ducks where again she is clearly the best player mm -hmm. on that entire team I think people know that I I think they still double team them um which in hockey is different than like double teaming a guy in basketball or a, a girl in basketball or a person in basketball where they can split the defense or pass it off. I think in hockey it is much more challenging. I assume that the Hawks had two people on Sophie the entire time. That would yeah, make sense. Yeah, and I mean, you, you can pretty safely say that you can leave Logan open right. and yeah, yeah. nothing yeah. bad is going to yeah. happen. No, he's, he's just a floating tripod. Just... Taking up space and maybe ricocheting. He'll get a goal, though. We, he will. We he still will. have his daddy story. Like, there are so many daddy stories. So many daddies. <laughs> we are ready for daddy puck time. <clears throat> I have another one, though. Okay. Because this scary. was something that we discussed extensively in a previous episode. Last one. So many things that are going through my mind right now. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know what they are. So, remember how we talked about how weird it was to me that Sophie was practicing in her game jerseys, her Ducks yes. jersey and her Don't Bother's jersey. You know what they're practicing in this week when we see them? Okay. Practice jerseys. Funny about that, isn't it? Hmm. The magic also, of Also, just TV. a heads up, this is going to come up next week mm -hmm. as well because I don't know about you, but every time I finish up an episode, Disney Plus says, hey... Do you want to watch a sneak peek of next week's episode? And my immediate response is yes. And as was teased at the end of this episode, Evan has a meeting with Coach T about potentially rejoining the Ducks. Mm -hmm. And we see in that little trailer that at that practice, the Ducks, they're all wearing their game jerseys. Mm -hmm. And there's one person that doesn't have a game jersey on, despite the fact that we know he owns a Ducks game jersey, and that is Evan. I guess we'll find out. There are also some other great things teased in, in that moment. I'm excited for the next episode. We, we get to reunite with a lot of the original Ducks, and uh, I, I am personally excited to hear the story of Connie Monroe, because... All of the other people that we see have aged, you know, the way that you do with time. Connie Monroe, who, by the way, I love that her character in the movies is Connie Monroe, considering her real name is, uh, what is it? Is it Sophie Monroe? No, Margaret, Marguerite, no. Margaret Monroe. Yeah. yeah. But they're both Monroe. Um, yeah. But yeah, Margaret Monroe seems to have that magic, wet hot American summer magic around her. Mm. Yeah, that just stopped all of them from aging. I mean, Elizabeth Banks, Paul Rudd, Michael Ian Black, Chris Maloney, and her. All of them just stopped aging after they did uh, that movie. Uh, uh, ahem. Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper has aged. Bradley Cooper uh, chose uh, uh, to ahem, age. Ahem, ahem. Mark Winsky. <laughs> I, I would argue Mark, Janine Garofalo has aged Just because less you than went Cooper. to Jewish summer camp yeah. does not mean you are part of the cast of wet hot american summer i disagree sorry. I there disagree. are a lot of people in that movie we don't know i am i am paul rudd and it keeps getting bigger <laughs> mm -hmm. but and if paul know. rudd is listening which i'm sure he is hey <laughs> <What's up? laughs> all right do we have any more uh 
grievances to air? No, no. I, uh, I mean, there were, there were definitely some weirdnesses of this episode. I really want to know what the Chekhov's gun conclusion is of why the, the glove box has to be held shut with a hockey stick. Cause I mean, that's, that is a whole Because it's annoying. Because it's, anno- it's annoying it when it shots. opens. No. The tape, the, the tape with the, he didn't have any tape, and it's a it's a thing. Yeah. He's a hockey it's coach. A he has tape. We yeah. had a whole thing in this series about how he had tape and that got He got trouble. in trouble for tape though, so maybe he Maybe he has tape by He's promised, yeah, yeah, right? Maybe he's like, I will never use tape again as long as I live. Justified. Everything gets stapled. Stapled. Justified. Stapled and hockey stick. Stapled and hockey sticked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Andrew. Well, <laughs> go for what it. did you think? Did you find any penalty box grievances that we missed? Let us know in the comments below. Or you can always head over to knucklepucktime.com and leave your comments there. And it is with that, my friends, that we are going to jump into our final thoughts. So, Mark, please uh, share your final thoughts on this episode with us. Yeah, I, I'm excited that we get a glimpse inside of each character's mind. We really get to meet these characters on a personal level and not just like 10 different characters all in one episode, all doing some sort of antic. It's really nice that they've been able to take the time to, to, to really slow it down. And um, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I, I agree completely, Mark. I also really appreciate that within giving each of the characters time to grow individually, they are still focusing on uh, giving both Nick and Winnie at least a few great lines per episode. Because Winnie saying that the guys that she dates are nothing alike, you know, cocoa guy, mustard guy, hot dog guy, pretzel guy. Pretzel, hot, dog hot dog pretzel guy. guy. <laughs> that was that was one of my favorite moments of the episode. And Nick, Nick managed to have two lines that I will not state here because he's so much better at delivering them than I am. But two different lines in the combined minute and a half of screen time that he maybe has that just were dynamite. I really appreciate that they are understanding the the best spices in this show, but still giving everyone else room to grow. I, uh, my one final thought leading into next week, besides the fact that we're going to talk about daddies a whole lot more, and that's how we're going to talk about it now, is a little bit of sadness that in the preview for next week's episode, we see that Fulton Reed now works construction, which dashes my hopes that the Marvel Universe and the Mighty Ducks Universe were in fact one, and Fulton Reed went on to be the lawyer partner of Matt Murdock, Daredevil, as we saw for three seasons and rumors have been arising that that Daredevil universe is coming back. It's gonna come to to Disney Plus. So it would have been wonderful to see that Fulton Reed grew up to be a a decent lawyer who went by a nickname like Foggy. It would have been nice. David, I, I, I will say we can keep that hope alive, you know, because As we know, WandaVision established the multiverse. That's an excellent point. Doctor Strange 2 will dive into the multiverse of madness. As will Spider-Man. Which leads us to believe that since there are infinite Earths, on one of those Earths, Fulton Reed became Foggy Foggy Reed Nelson. Yeah, what a brilliant mind. Like, what a brilliant plan. Be like, we don't have just one storyline. We have an infinite number now where we can do anything we want and justify it and it's they can bring in anything that was ever anything done ever else. ever right. mm-hmm. yeah they could be like hey hugh jackman come back for a quick minute a minute as as logan yeah just gonna be wolverine again and yeah, you're right. just gonna stare really judgmentally at the new logan from another universe and just go meh maybe and then right. you're going to leave. And that's the introduction yeah. of the new one. And now the new one has to live up to it. But he's been tentatively approved. You can do anything with this. It's great. And I hope one of the things they do is foggy Fulton Reed Nelson. I want that to happen. So, David, 
let, let me ask you before we finish up here. Are we living on the earth where we're going to find out this week why Dave Carp owes you $10? No, we're still in the darkest timeline. <laughs> <laughs> nope sorry all right dave carp once he pays me back then i will share the story we've established this every dang week just as keenan no 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 oh man we unmuted you man we're waiting for you to jump in we appreciate how polite you are was he in the bathroom or something this time i I... oh no he's just sitting here i think he's been waiting for us to give him a moment of air and give him clearance we we didn't call you up buddy i'm real sorry about that um Wait, how do I understand? Well, apologies now? to Keenan Thompson. Okay. We will get you on next week. But with that being said, please let us know any other thoughts that you have about the Mighty Ducks, Game Changers, Episode 5, which we are calling The Daddies, uh, despite the fact I know this episode is called Cherry Pick. Uh, I, I don't uh, care it's now called that this Daddy episode talk. is called. <laughs> no, it is now called Daddy, Daddy Talk. talk. But please let us know what you thought of this episode in the comments below. And if you're feeling a little frisky, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. If you're listening in audio form, subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star review. Those things really do make a difference and it helps more people join what I guess we're now calling Daddy Talk Nation. If you if you, if you you don't subscribe, it, it, it might... Have me de 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 develop a stutter. Pa pa pa! Please don't do this to me. You see, you're allowed to make that joke. Sure can. We're not allowed to make sure that joke. Sure can, because it's funny. <laughs> and with that being said, I have been Andrew. I remain David. And I'm Mark Winsky. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. Daddy time. Daddy time. Daddy. It's dead enough.